0: Episode 3. Welcome to Athletes Rising. I'm Dustin Aval joined by my co-host and today our guest, Kelly Gray. Yeah. Happy to be here as always. Uh it's been too long since our our last recording, since the last episode and I'm sure the the fans were clamoring. <laughs> so we had to come back, but in all seriousness, it's uh the time of year when people start to make some goals or resolutions about the next year. So Why not get back at it here with uh, our illustrious leader and co-host, Kelly?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is uh, the right time of year. I mean, I think, um, especially as we have some of these youth sports seasons starting here after the new year, what better time to try and get in the ears of more listeners and more parents to uh, help them get the right mindset uh, as their children get going for
0: the new season. And uh, to backtrack, uh, I, Dustin, have... Had a, a, a light career we'll call it in in volleyball and and kelly has a much more uh lengthy career and story around uh soccer and and his participation therein as well as uh a, being a player and a coach and the goal here at athletes rising is to just make sure that we show the good the bad and, and the ugly of what athletes go through in order to achieve their dreams it's not always uh cupcakes and kittens and um uh, I want to find out a little bit more about about kelly's story so uh so kelly thanks for being in the hot seat
1: (laughs) yeah my pleasure i I definitely don't mind talking about myself and my career and you know a lot of the uh challenges that i ran into you know i think i didn't have like a very normal path getting to uh, where i got and uh and i think that that's important for children to understand is that it's you're not always going to get you know to the top right away and you're going to have failures along the way and it's how we react to those failures that's going to uh, decide if we are able to achieve uh, the highest level.
0: That's interesting that you say you had a maybe a different or an interesting way of going through your career because from the outside and I think one of the things we want to expose and explore more in the other interviews that we have here is from the outside for myself and for kids and, and parents and other fans, it may look like you, you know, had the storybook career. Uh, so let's, let's go back through it. You started, you were a youth player in, in Northern California. Tell me a little bit about how you zeroed in, how you began in youth and maybe even in high school uh, soccer.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'll start, um, kind of early on. Um, I played for a, a small club called Los Gatos United, uh, in Los Gatos, California. Um, basically just playing on a team with my friends and um you know to we ended up winning state cup which was a big huge thing at under 12s right so you're 11 year olds and you know grand scheme of things it really means nothing but I know for myself it was a huge huge accomplishment and I scored a goal in the final and was a an influential player on the team and um you know I had gotten a lot of attention around that time and um and it was a it was a high point certainly uh you know for an 11 year old uh to be um to have that that kind of success but what what was funny was um over the next couple of years I kind of lost my way you know I I tried out for the district team and and I made the district team that was great but then when I tried out for the state team and I didn't make the state team in, in ODP um So for those of you that don't understand what that is, uh, the district team is you have all the best players from the district try out and try and make the team Uh, And for the district around here in in northern California. It's district two. Um, There's a a a lot of talent and it was a very, very strong team. Now for this California North State team, um, as it's kind of exactly what you would expect, it is. The best players in Northern California, so any player in Northern California in that age group can try out to make the state team, and I think there's eighteen spots um, and i didn't make it. I got cut, and it was uh, it was definitely a, a hard thing for me to go through, but i didn't quite understand what it meant at that time, but as I got older and older and kept getting cut, it, it was uh, uh, it, it became more more apparent that it was a very important piece uh, along the path to to get to that next level. Um but so th- those years after that so I'd say when I was maybe uh 13 14 15 I was not very good. I was not a very good soccer player to be to be plain and honest. You know, I I wasn't that strong. I was always fast, but I wasn't that strong and I just didn't have the confidence and I wasn't playing the way that I wanted to and um and I was expecting other people to do I think more than uh than than they should have been expected to. And um and it and it wasn't until uh, around high school. I'd say seventeen was when I actually kind of found my stride. So you look at that time frame between you know twelve years old and seventeen; those are formative years in a youth playing career. And you know the one thing that I did have and that always kind of stuck true to me was I was always playing on a club team with my friends. So after school, it was juggling contests in the front yard uh, every weekend. After games, before games, it was. Um you know we 'd go out and play pickup ball at the local school. Um, we played soccer every day after school nonstop every single minute that we could find. My whole social group was revolved around my soccer team, and it was always fun for me, so I was getting hundreds, if not thousands of extra touches on a ball every single uh day and um And I think that that really helped get get my game kind of to the next level, you know. I grew, um, I, I got a little bit stronger on the ball, um, I had more confidence in my touch, and those are the things that kind of brought me to, uh, I'd say, the next level of success. But it, again, it wasn't until I was 17, you know? And so, you look at how does that translate into the, today's world? Well, the big thing that I would say about it is, youth soccer is much different today than it was back then, right? You have the U.S. Sure. Development Academy, but had I been in that system, I would not have made an academy team until maybe the under 18 Academy team, which most people give up by then. And that's kind of the whole point of what I want people to take out of this is that everybody develops at their own time, at their own pace. And had I given up and just, you know, said, oh, well, I'm not on that path, so I'm never gonna have a chance of making it. um, Well, I clearly never would have made it, but uh, I knew what I wanted and I knew that it was gonna take a lot of hard work. And that's, like I said, that, that perseverance helped me get to that next level Um, When I was about 17
0: years old Wow Um, Yeah, a lot to unpack there I mean, basically like a full chapter of your life From from 11 or 12 with some early success To 17 and 18 Where you rebounded Had more success again Resulting in college scholarship offers And those sorts of things And we'll get to that But I think one thing that I take away from that story And that I want to highlight is a lot of the stuff you couldn't control. You couldn't control who the other guys were in your area that had uh that had tried out for the same teams at the same positions, who may have developed sooner or earlier. And whatever the reason, in in your case, it sounds like it was more for just for fun, hanging out with buddies, but you're putting in the work. You were getting these reps. You were You were going out. You were uh, controlling what you could control, which was well. I can go out get hundreds, thousands more touches, but that's not. That wasn't even your goal at the time. The goal was just going out and having fun, and and by as a byproduct, of course, you got a ton more uh, experience. But what do you think before you were eleven or twelve had been instilled in you, or was getting instilled in you to prepare you? maybe at home or wherever that even though you met those more challenging times that it wasn't just an easy, I'm going to sail through this. Uh, you, you stuck with it because yeah. like you said, tons of people could just say, Oh, that was, that was good. I want a state cup. I, yeah. I play with my friends all the time and that's it.
1: Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, my parents, uh, are both entrepreneurs, both work for themselves. They both know that if you don't put the work, then, uh, you don't get the result. And, uh, so, growing up, they always kind of instilled that in myself and my brothers. Um, and and I think that you, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said, like, it, it was kind of all about the fun, right? At, at 10, 11, 12, you're not playing because you want to, like, make a certain team or anything like that. You're playing because it's enjoyable. It's, it's a really good time. And it wasn't until, like, after that that I learned, that like, oh, well, if I put in this little bit of extra work on an off day when it does come to the game day, maybe I'm going to be a little bit more fit. Maybe my touch is going to be a little bit better. Um, you know, maybe I'll be a little bit more mentally ready to get into that game and then it makes the game more fun. And so Mm -hmm. I realized that if I put in that extra work, then I would be able to, um, have those Saturday games be more successful and more fun for myself. And so that, that was the, the kind of big thing that I learned throughout that time. Now, again i i say all of that um knowing full well that like that kind of cognitive thought isn't quite possible for for kids at (laughs) at that age but looking back on it that's what i am saying that i recognize now that subconsciously that's exactly what i ended up doing so i mean i think that really just comes down to that work ethic and that support system that i had been had been instilled in me from my parents and um and, you know whether it be soccer whether it be fitness whether it be schoolwork whether it be whatever uh, it didn't really matter what it was they had kind of set that work ethic in in place um, you know well before it had an effect on me in uh, in sports
0: and reminder this this show should be hopefully as valuable for parents of teenagers and, and young kids and juniors and, and competitors as it is for the competitors themselves they the athletes themselves may be looking at these successful athletes in their eyes and say, yeah, he had it so much easier than I did or, or she was always at the top of her class. Uh, and and they come to find out, you peel back the layers a little bit. It wasn't always as it seemed from the outside. And for the parents to know that uh, those lessons do pay off and it's not just about being on the top team at every age and that there are other ways to support and even um, – instill that advantage within your and, and, and other children is hopefully some of the takeaways that, that we get from the show and for to help athletes rise throughout the way. So you, uh, you come back, you're in, you're in high school at this point. Yeah. Uh, have you, did you grow up playing other sports? Have you sort of solidified that like soccer is my my jam? That's what I'm going to do or is it still fun? At what point are you thinking, "Hey, maybe I've maybe I've got something here. Like maybe I'm I'm pretty good."
1: Yeah, so I mean, growing up I played all sports. Um, you know, primarily uh baseball, uh soccer, hockey, um I don't even know what else. A little bit of everything. Like yeah. if there was a game being played I wanted to go play. Um
0: less organized then too, probably
1: less organized, certainly, um, you know, funny enough, my soccer team, whenever the game would end on Saturday, we would all go to the local high school in the parking lot and we would um, record or we would uh, get our hockey goals and we would just play street hockey for hours on end. And funny enough, again, looking back on that, that helped so much with speed of thought and with leg strength. And um and just overall speed, it was something that you would never think would actually have that uh that kind of effect on you. Um.
0: Pause right now for station identification and Porter Nosewipe, I think. Athletes Rising. Rising as athletes. Athletes Rising is a podcast that pulls back the veil on what it takes to become an elite athlete. Each episode consists of an interview with an athlete that grew up playing youth sports and able to make it to the collegiate level or beyond. The purpose of this show is to show the good, the bad, and the ugly of what youth athletes go through in order to achieve their dreams. We want to expose the multiple failures that each athlete encounters and highlight the lessons they learned from those failures and the effect that they have in helping or hindering their own athletic career.
1: This episode is brought to you by Cinch. Cinch is an API-driven sports management platform designed to simplify and streamline the management of sports. Go ahead and go to cinchhq.com, c-i-n-c-h-h-q.com, and give it a try today. It's free to sign up. You can sign in, create your profile, add your players to your profile, manage your entire sporting life all in one place from your mobile phone. For organizations, You can go on, create programs, open registration, collect your money, manage your communication, everything all in one place. Again, go to cinchhq.com and sign up today.
0: So we're back with Kelly, and we're just about halfway through, I guess, your soccer career. Still... As a youngster, and uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting and and to reiterate that kids tend to do better uh, physiologically, psychologically, um, just performance-wise as they develop to develop different muscles from playing different sports. It's not just about focusing on basketball or volleyball or baseball or even soccer so early in life and, and uh, pretty funny that you guys would go and, and also amazing at the energy that uh, youngsters have to be able to go right from a, a youth soccer game to, to play pickup hockey. But back to the, the question that we were getting at was, when did you decide and how did you decide that soccer was it? And how did you know you were yeah. like, it was time to focus?
1: Yeah, so I think I was about 12 years old or so when, uh, when I decided that it was going to be um, just soccer. And, uh, you know, again, it kind of comes down to the the same thing that I think is going to become a recurring theme through this is that's what all my friends were doing. (laughs) We all kind of collectively as a group decided that we didn't really want to play any other sports. We kind of only wanted to play soccer. And so, um, we, we decided to just drop all other sports and, and just focus on soccer. And that's just how it, how it went. Um, and so, you know, at that time, you really only played soccer in the fall season, and so we decided that we were gonna, as a team, register to play spring soccer. And so that was a kind of a big, a big move. And then that, then made it year round for us. And again, it was probably a group of like ten or twelve of us that had kind of all decided that at the same time. We still had teammates that played uh, other sports all the way into high school, um, but at that point, at twelve years old or so, that was that was the changing point where. It was like, okay, this is just what I like most. This is my main group of friends. This is who I want to spend my time with. Um, There definitely wasn't like the thought process of like, oh, maybe I'm good at this and can make the next level of it. It wasn't about that. It was, this is what I like doing. This is who I like being with. That was it. The entire decision was made around that.
0: Looking back now, do you have any comments, or I guess what comments do you have on the fact that such an Influential decision to focus on soccer in your life was made just kind of because that's what your buddies were doing or was it you know was there more to it
1: no I mean I think that it it, it really came down to just um, just what I said is that yeah my buddies were all doing it but again, collectively we we just had so much fun doing it that was that was really it, it was what we enjoyed doing it was what we all had um, a talent at it right we we were successful at it and so that obviously made it a bit more fun um, but I don't think anybody any of us chose to do it because of that I think it was all really just revolved around the fact that we all liked each other we all wanted to spend time together and this core group of players had started when we were nine years old together and we ended up playing club ball all the way through we went to when we went to college together so it just kind of shows you the camaraderie of that group um, and and the culture that we kind of had within that group where it was you know like a brotherhood you know we we looked out for each other we uh, held each other accountable on and off the field um and and that's not something that you find uh very often and so th- i think like i said at that time it was that was just kind of the turning point of all of us deciding like well we can do this year round we really like this we're pretty good at this um let's just do this
0: at some point 10th 11th 12th grade you your team either just banded or, you know, not everybody was going to the same university. Not everybody was getting full ride scholarships. Yeah. There there was a varying degree of success that was starting to, to play out. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit about what that process was like for you sure. and how you determined what your level of participation was going to be in sport in college.
1: Sure. So For me, there's kind of two sides to it, right? There's the the club side, and then there's the ODP side, the Olympic Development Program side. Um, And so we'll start with the ODP side first. I had finally, after a handful of years, made the state team. And that was a huge, huge accomplishment for me. I was so proud to pull that jersey on and represent Northern California. um, And I took that very, very seriously. Um, Now, when you're on the state team, you go – to, these, to a state play day or like, kind of like a showcase, what a showcase would be today, where you play against all the other state teams in your region. So our region was Region 4. We played against Oregon, Washington, Nevada, uh, Utah, um, Colorado, Arizona, uh, Hawaii. Um, so you, you, you know, it's a high level of play, and you play against each other. And all of those players are trying out to try and make the regional team. I never made the regional team (laughs) every single year. I got cut, uh, all the way up until my senior year, after I had already committed to go to university of Portland, uh, on a soccer scholarship, I still, I, that was the only time I made the team. And I honestly think that that was just because, well, I still don't know that I was all that good, but I was going to a really good soccer program. And, um, maybe that made coaches aware of who I was a little bit more. Um, so all through high school, I had very little success at the at the regional team level. Like I said, I never ever made it. Um, so that's that was kind of the ODP side. Now the club soccer side, um, like I said, I was about 17 when I realized that I I had a little bit something extra, and that just honestly came down to confidence for me. Our club team was being was was very successful. Um, with the state team, we had gone up to play in a tournament in. Oregon in Portland Oregon and there was a number of college scouts out there and that's when I first got interest from Clive Charles at University of Portland and that was such a huge confidence boost for me it just made me feel like oh my gosh I think I think I can actually do this and then bringing that back to club soccer um it just the confidence just kept kept going and kept going and so you know that it was like I said about 17 years old the 17 year the 18 year that I just kind of had this mentality of like how in the world is the other team going to stop me? Like, they, they can't. Like, I kind of feel bad for them. Like, they think they're going to, but they can't. And, you know, call it arrogance or whatever. I'm going to call it confidence. And it made such a huge difference in my game to the point that, you know, it did elevate me above most of the players that we were playing uh, against. Now, when you look at my club team as a whole, we had nine of our, of the 18 of us ended up going to D1 schools on scholarships. It wow. was a pretty impressive group yeah. of players um and so when it came to recruiting we had college scouts out there a lot um and my coach at the time was a guy named dave gold who was a phenomenal soccer coach uh growing up and he i think he played it fairly well where he would be pretty quiet about when coaches were there um so that it wouldn't mess with any of our heads and um and so I thought that was a an interesting kind of psychological tool that, that a soccer coach uh, used.
0: On the note of psychological tools, I want to go back to the confidence that I think is such a an important factor in really in everybody's uh, day-to-day, but especially in an athlete's uh, competitive landscape. And it sounds like that age or that trip to Oregon and really the success of your team at that level drove a lot of your confidence. And from what I've been studying, I'm learning that confidence is really a result of your self-talk. And it sounded like you brought it up that at the time your self-talk was really like, nobody can stop me. Who can stop me? And so my question is, how do you get to that point that you're telling that that statement to yourself and you're believing it? And and one of the high performance psychologists that I follow, um, Dr. Gervais Michael Gervais would would ask, "How did you earn the right to say that to yourself?" That's a great question. Um, you know, I,
1: I think um, it's funny that that mentality of like, "How are they going to stop me?" That didn't come until honestly, I think after that trip up to Portland. It was the Nike Friendship Cup. It was. Uh, cal north against oregon and uh in washington i think and um you know I, i honestly don't remember playing particularly well um but uh and i don't think i scored like a lot of goals or anything i think i was a forward at the time um but honestly my my coach at the time uh a guy named jerry lawson he had pulled me aside me and two other players on my team aside at the airport on our way home and he was like hey the olympic team coach is interested in you guys and we were like, "What? Like, we're playing on the state team here. And now we're talking about the Olympic team coach." Yeah. And it was it was Clive Charles who was the Olympic team coach for the 2000 Olympics, and um, and that was that in itself. Just that that like sentence made the uh, made our confidence just kind of go sky high. And it wasn't just me; it was um, it was me and the the two other players, a guy named Carl Martino and a guy named Makoto Anderson and or kyle uh, tanner not kyle martino and um and it was funny to see kind of how our careers kind of progressed at after that point uh kyle tanner ended up coming to university of portland as well a year later he was a year younger in school Um uh, makoto anderson um i believe he went to uh fresno state if i'm not mistaken and ended up having a successful career there as well but it just comes down to that like i said that confidence and, and to what you originally asked how do you earn the right and to be honest, I don't I don't know that you <clears throat> ever lose the right. You always have that right to say it. It's just whether you truly believe it or not. And I just believed it. You know, I I visualized myself on the field going up against a player and thinking to myself, "Well, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm faster. How is this guy going to stop me? I will be able to get around him. I will be able to score." More goals. I'll be able to do all of those things. So how, how in the world is he going to be able to stop me? And 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 then you know you look at and and maybe this is just the way that my brain works, but I was like, and there's 90 minutes in a game. Like even if he stops me 10 times, I'm gonna get 10 other tries to go up against him. So like, I have to be able to score. How's it? How's it? How am I not gonna score in this game? And so you know I know myself. I would always, if I could score in the first like 20 minutes of the game, I was like, oh yes, I'm going to have a multiple goal game because it was like, oh, there's still so much time and I've already got one. And uh, just that mentality, I think, really helped me um, kind of progress, you know, and kind of like a, a funny story is <clears throat> I remember after having a, a fair amount of success with my club team and, and scoring a lot of goals and all those, those kinds of things, we we played in a tournament in uh, i want to say it was in lodi california and i overheard somebody on the other team saying oh that guy number six he's a national team player and again i had never made the regional team let alone a national team but even just that like the fact that the other team knew who i was and they didn't really know who i was but they had heard whatever and they had thought oh he's a national team player that was again just a confidence boost because it was like all right they're aware of me mm-hmm. that that means they're a little bit scared of me. Like now I'm going to go into that game and knowing that I'm on the upper foot, I'm attacking, they are on the defense all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And just that, that mentality of, of that, I think really helped me be successful at that time. Uh, you know, in my, in my club career.
0: So things seem to be going pretty well for you at this point. You had, you yeah, you hit a, a lower point midway or early in high school and then, Saw some success at the regional level and within the ODP program and um, and now the the Olympics coach is interested and, and you're also being recruited for Division I scholarship and you go on to to play at Portland. So what was it like from the evaluating maybe offers or schools to going from a heralded senior or at least a well-known senior in high school and club to back at the bottom again as a, as a freshman or as a rookie or whatever in in college
1: well well it's funny so even in high school like i'm i'm not even sure i actually made any of like the all-conference teams or whatever in, in high school ball you know? i played a lot you know i was on varsity as a freshman and uh, and i played every basically every minute of every game throughout my entire high school career but I wasn't a very um I don't know, flashy player or something like that. Like I said, I I never got the you know, the League MVP awards or uh like I said, even the league um first team awards. I, I don't I don't think. I don't I don't recall. Um so going into college, like you said, I I started in the bottom rung. I didn't know if I was gonna be a forward or a center back. And my coach didn't know either. And um and so I remember going into uh our first game and thinking uh it was a it was a game against UCLA and I remember going up against I got put in 10 minutes left in the game going up against Carlos Bocanegra who was youth national team player you know obviously now uh one of the most um heralded players in U.S. soccer history and I remember just going up against him and being like, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to go <laughs> up against Carlos Bocanegra. And he ended up being a teammate in time and, um, and, a, and a very good friend. And, um, but I was terrified, absolutely terrified. So I ran around like crazy, ran as hard as I could. After the game, Clive pulls me into his office and he goes, so i got some good news and i got some bad news. I was like, okay. He's like, the bad news is he played terrible. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, fair enough. He's like, the good news is you have an engine. You can run and run and run, and I can teach you how to run the right way. And what he meant by that was pick and choose your times, right? Uh, Here's when you need to explode into what space. Here's how you create that space. And so over the course of the next couple of weeks, um, he was able to teach me quite a lot. And then that's kind of when my soccer my college soccer career started, right? When our first game in the actual season, we had our our home tournament and uh, I was playing up top. I was playing as a forward with uh, my my strike partner at the time was a guy named Connor Casey. Um, Again, U.S. national team player, uh, played for Borussia Dortmund in in, uh, Germany for a long time, had a a long career in Germany, came back, played for Colorado Rapids for a number of years, and I actually got to reconnect with him playing for the Colorado Rapids at one point, which was uh, exciting. But he and I, both freshmen, we both, um, our first basically real college game, um, that game, I, I had learned how to run. I had learned how to work with my strike partner. I had learned how to create space for myself. I had learned all of these things. Um, and I ended up scoring three goals in that game. Connor ended up scoring, I think three as well. And, um, and that's kind of how the season ended up going for us. Uh, he and I had a really good partnership up top. Um, he ended up with 23 goals in the season. I ended up with 14 and um, he was just, whew, God, what a, what a player to watch and to, to be able to, to play with. And, um, that was you know that was freshman year that was the 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 introduction to the world of college soccer for me and uh like i said it it started out with some some rocky you know some rocky training sessions some uh some of those where you're working on -on one-on-ones and you're getting beat every single time and your coach is just like what's going on and you you question yourself like am am i just am i just not good enough (laughs) you know do i have to wait another year to like actually learn all these things so that i can compete at this level um but my coach saw something in me, and he was able to kind of get that out of me. And that was uh, that was impressive. And it was – I mean, thank God he
0: did. So from your perspective, obviously from the soccer team and, and soccer as your sport, but how would you just describe in, in a short way – it doesn't have to be like a single sentence or anything like that – just collegiate sports in general and the collegiate sports experience?
1: Yeah, for me, collegiate sports was um, – It was not too much different than professional sports for me the the program at university of portland is professional it's the reason that i went there right i had offers from all sorts of big schools all around and portland's a small school with um you know i'd say a rich soccer history but not they don't have like lots of national championships they don't they don't have any of that kind of a history but they do have a really good track record of players turning pro and you know when it came to clive recruiting me it was him um saying to me do you want to be a pro and me saying yes i can make you a pro and 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 i believed him you know i truly believed him and um that was that was kind of the big the big thing for me so i felt as though i was walking directly into a professional environment at portland you know our our facilities were top notch our coach was you know, the Olympic team coach, he had coached, he was the assistant coach for the World Cup for uh, 1998 for the US. Um, he had played professionally in England, he had played professionally in the US. Um, he he was, you know, the, the best of the best, the best, I don't, I don't even want to say coach, the best person <laughs> I think I've ever met in my entire life, and certainly the most influential outside of my parents. Um, so college, the college experience, experience, I think, really just kind of set me up for what was to become the professional experience, right? It was, um, you know, you have your your trainings uh, in the mornings or in the afternoons, depending on uh, what time of season it was. Um, everything was was just very professional. You're, you have your training room. You have your, you know, your weight room. You have your, your fitness routine that you have to do. You have, um, you know, all the regeneration that you have to do. Uh, you have the studying of film. You have to do. You have you have all these things, and you're you're held to a very high level. Now, obviously, you have to keep your academics up, which is different than the professional game. But um, I think that that almost helps in a way to keep everything disciplined, uh, you know. And uh, so that that to me was really what college ball was. I always saw it as a stepping stone to the next level. I didn't know if I was going to be able to play at the next level. I didn't know if I was good enough to. Um, but I felt like I was playing in a professional system when I was at University of Portland.
0: Which is a great transition into, so when did you get a glimmer of, I could be a professional at this, uh, or maybe I got a shot at this, or whatever that that trigger that went off, where you it went from, I'm just going to go heads down and do everything I can every day. In other words, in your career, when did you go from having a great engine and running around all over the place to being more strategic, just like your coach taught you about the running inside the lines? You thought about how am I going to be more strategic about my approach to have a a more extended and and professional career?
1: Well, you know, the college game is, um, I mean, it's hard enough to play college ball. And so I learned pretty early on in my freshman year that I was going to have to do extra if I wanted to be a a, a very influential player. So myself, Connor Casey, a guy named Nate Jaqua, we started this thing called Skills Club. And what it was was before training every day, we would go into this like special area in the gym and we would do this whole like skills um, kind of like routine of – juggling and touches on the ball and all of these things um it would take about an hour for us to complete and then we would go uh do our normal kind of training routine and it kind of goes back to what i said earlier about with the youth game putting in the extra time putting in the extra effort right so i always saw it as all right i want my touch to be that much better i want my speed to be that much better i want my feet to be that much quicker i want all of these things so um even at the college level, what can I do to put myself above not only my teammates but uh, everybody else that I'm going to come in and play against? So we started that um, my freshman year into my sophomore year as well and um, and after my freshman season <clears throat> in that spring, I had actually made the regional team, which was uh, like I said, I think more just because I was going to University of Portland than the fact that I was actually good at soccer um and i got uh we went to the regional play day and i played and um and i ended up you know getting asked to stay over for the uh for the um national team and that again I don't know how much politics played into that, but I think a lot of that just had to do with the fact uh, I played fairly well. I had had a really good freshman year. Um, It helped that my college assistant coach was the goalkeeper coach for the national team. Um, Again, which was hugely, hugely helpful. Um, But really what I saw that as was it was a chance, right? They gave me a chance to actually uh, play at that level and see what I could do.
0: So let's take it chronologically then and what what did you do with that chance? What happened from your collegiate uh career to to professional career to the uh experiences that you had internationally as well. Let's try to to push on that last chapter of your of your uh, career in sport.
1: Sure. So um, at that point, I had gotten the opportunity to, to, to stay over and train with the U-20 national team. Um, it, was a, it was a strange one because I knew who every single player on that team was just because I had always followed it and I had looked up to these players. And uh, so it was, it was kind of crazy to be now a, uh, you know, a colleague, in a way, of these guys. Uh, but, I, but I got the chance. I got the opportunity. And I felt at home, right? First training session. Just felt good, right people I felt were th- we were thinking on the same level at the same speed we were acting at the same um, the same speed, um, so when we played games, uh, I ended up doing really well. I scored a, a number of goals for the team um, did really well with my week of training with the national team uh, that ended up leading to me being uh, invited back to many more national team camps over the course of the u twenty cycle um, so that was like my uh, spring of or spring of freshman year, and then into my sophomore season, I had a real, again, a really good uh, college soccer sophomore season. And then it was time to um, t- to take a chance. I wasn't really a starter yet on the national team. I uh, I had been getting called into every camp and, and playing pretty well, but I but I certainly wasn't a shoe in in any means. And there was this camp that happened over. I want to say it was like. December or something and and I had to go in and do really well otherwise I wasn't going to make the U20 national teams um, residency which is what I wanted to do because that's that residency group was where the core of the team for the U20 World Cup was going to come from uh, the following summer so um well <laughs> this is where my college coach played a really big role for me I had to decide was I going to take a semester off of school and coming from my family very academic based taking a semester off of school was not something that you take lightly. And it wasn't a sure thing. I had to do really well at this camp if I was going to make this team. And if I didn't do well at the camp and I had taken the semester off of school, I wasn't going to be in residency. I was just going to be in limbo. And and I didn't really know what to do. My college coach pulls me into his office one day and he just goes, you're taking this semester off, go make the team. That was it. That was the entire conversation. and again these little kind of phrases that really stick with you and that gave me the confidence I went down on that trip on that and that camp I played extremely well and I got asked to join the national team for residency and so we ended up um, living down in San Diego in Chula Vista at the uh, U.S. uh, Olympic Center and uh, we were there for six months getting ready for the 2001 Youth World Cup in Argentina and Um, We played, you know, we traveled a lot all over Europe, playing games all over South America, playing games, getting ready for this tournament. And that was kind of the point where I realized playing professional soccer was a was a possibility. Part of it was MLS had come to our training camp and they had sat us all down in a room and said, look, we want all of you guys to turn pro. We are willing to have all of you guys join, you know, Project 40, um, which is basically the top 40 players in the country. Uh, in partnership with Nike, would get um, drafted uh, into to play MLS. You, you sign your contract early and you're guaranteed spots on teams and you get drafted and that's that. Um, that was when I was like, oh, man, this is this is a, a real distinct possibility. And, and I was kind of in shock. And then as we started playing games all around the world, then all of the European interest started coming. And then playing in the World Cup as well, um, I had a pretty good World Cup Um, and offers started coming from European clubs as well. And that was when I was like, okay, man, this lifestyle, this, this whole thing is a, is a real distinct possibility. And that's kind of insane, but also like really, really cool. So, um, that was kind of how it all came about to get to the professional level.
0: So once again, I think, excuse me, you're your career is sort of highlighted by these just epic high points. I mean, uh, representing your region, your state, your nation, your school, um, all-American type accolades and those types of things. And then you continually, it sounds like, push the envelope to, to challenge. Like you have this opportunity. It would have been easy for you at that point in your career to sit back and say, I can't afford to take a semester off. I'm I mean you said it yourself you you, you weren't even the top scorer on, yeah. on your front line. Yeah. And yet you're going to take some time off and and try to do something else. So how did you then transition that sort of mindset into going pro and then again starting, starting over? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it was interesting because with the, with the Project 40 thing, you're guaranteed a spot on the team. So I, I knew that I didn't have to, like, battle to get a contract. I already had my contract. It was in place. So I was in Italy with the under-23 national team at the time that the draft occurred. I'm sitting around a computer with Kyle Martino and Brad Davis hitting refresh <laughs> to see where we got drafted to, which was pretty funny. And, um, and I, uh, you know, I found out we get drafted to Chicago. And, uh, which was amazing for me because, um, Bob Bradley was a head coach there and he's just a legendary coach. And, um, and I had a friend on the team, DeMarcus Beasley, who played, uh, for the fire. And, um, and so I was, I was familiar at least with, uh, the, the organization and the setup and all of those kinds of things. So that was all pretty cool to me. Now the fire were in Portugal at the time. So I just flew from Italy to portugal and i joined the team and i just kind of hop in and it was was the most kind of the most crazy thing to me was i was there with nine other rookies um i but i was the only one that was guaranteed a spot and so i go in and i have my like i i gotta pick my number because the equipment manager knew that i was going to be around for a while you know i had a multi-year contract so I got to pick my number, which was awesome. I got my, my favorite number six, which was um, my number that I've, that I've always had uh, throughout the majority of my career. Um, and this is kind of what the coolest thing to me was with the fire when I joined them. There was a legendary fire player, Peter Novak, and then a you know, world legend in Risto Stoichkov. Those two players, they were at the end of their career when I joined that team. And they're honestly just absolute legends of the game. Um I came into training and they held me to a higher standard and not in a way that was like negative. They they would push me and they would stay after and they would work on little things with me and they kind of took me under their wing to develop me and I I like to think it's because they saw some potential in me that I could be around a while and that I could make a make a good career of this. And um and I'll never forget it because you know, I was New to the world of professional soccer, and I had these two absolute legends who saw something in me, and just that in itself made me feel validated and made me feel like okay, I belong here, like I can do this, and and it made the confidence um, sky high. And so, all through preseason, I felt I felt really good. Um, We get to the first game of the season against Columbus away, and I didn't start the game. I didn't expect to start the game, Um, and. Carlos Bocanegra gets a red card, and they throw me in at center back, and I have to mark Brian McBride. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for those that don't know who Brian McBride is, uh, one of the greatest strikers all time for uh, the U.S. national team. You know, played a a long time in in England with Fulham, uh, a couple of stints elsewhere, and and a, certainly a Columbus Cl- Crew legend. Uh, He's probably but, still
0: in. U.S. national team top scorer, like the top yeah. five or top three, maybe.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. He's just just an absolute legend mm. of the game, and, and he was known for uh, being so good in the air. And so they throw me in the first game of the season, and I've got to go mark Brian McBride on set pieces <laughs> and, and throughout the game. And I uh, and I went in, and I think we lost the game 1-0, but I, I remember going in and, and playing well, and I had to go up for a, a handful of headers with McBride, and I won a good amount of them. And um, what was cool after that was, you know, McBride after the game said, Hey, that was a great game. He played really well. And I was like, Oh man, like it's <laughs> Brian McBride saying that to me. Like that was crazy. But again, validating. And, yeah. and I think a lot of, a lot of the focus of what we're talking yeah. about here is, is the confidence in things. And those little pieces just make that confidence grow and grow and grow. And then, and then all of a sudden you just feel comfortable, you know, and you, and you belong. And um, so that was a lot of the, kind of the transition into, into the professional game.
0: Yeah, it's interesting the threads that, that um, tie themselves throughout the story. Confidence, obviously. Yeah. And again, I think that comes from that self-talk, that you felt validated in, in this point in the career in Chicago by Stoichkoff and Novak yeah. at other points by other coaches or, or players. And also kind of funny, a, an interlude there, Bocanegra yeah. Reasserts himself in your career
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah, as, as a
0: teammate yeah. yeah, as a teammate, as a teammate now um, So It's, for me My my career in sport In volleyball never went Nearly the, the length that yours did So here, that you did in fact have those Kind of fanboy moments with oh, Brian McBride oh. And other people yeah. there There is still some humanity to it right? It's not like, oh, now I'm pro I'm no longer Kelly, I'm like For real now
1: yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's part of what the game is about, right? Is like you've, you've watched these players uh, growing up, you try and emulate various aspects of their game because they are the best at what they do, and then all of a sudden they become colleagues. And I still think it's kind of cool to, you know, emulate them and to to look up to them and to respect them. And that was one of the big things that I really enjoyed about playing professionally was that all of the players that you play against, you're all friends on a certain level right it's a it's a small club of people that get to be at that level and so right. there's a level of understanding and a level of respect that you all have for each other because you know what it takes to get there and um and and to this day it's a very tight-knit community of players uh that guys that that get to play at that level and you always look out for each other and you're you're always trying to help each other whether it be uh in in the coaching ranks or in the the post um, career commentating kinds of things like there's whatever everybody's trying to do. Uh, you're you're always a kind of a member of this club, and you always want to help out your uh, your brothers.
0: So now we're in the professional ranks, and again, a whole set of questions come to mind for me to better understand. Like now, what? Right? I mean, yeah. if if we fast forward, knowing what we know now, it sounds like man professional career is off to a great start you you went head-to-head with one of the top strikers in american or really international soccer you had the backing of two of the top mls players at the time and and as they ride off into the sunset but having the benefit of of hindsight here we know that you still aren't playing in the mls you aren't in the hall of fame yet (laughs) uh, what so what what happened next i guess is the is the real crux of the question
1: yeah you know i think that um i, I felt i had a really good career with chicago i played there for about three and a half years um i, I got a ton of experience i i played a lot unfortunately like my freshman year freshman year my uh, rookie year uh chris armis who was the captain of the team um a player and person that i try and emulate every single day um he had torn his acl and Uh, it was devastating for the team uh devastating for me as a as a teammate because he um was one of those players that I wanted to learn from every day and and when when you tear your ACL obviously you're out for quite a while uh the positive spin on that was it opened up a spot for me to step in and and get a lot more playing time and so I was able to uh, play the large majority of the games uh, my rookie year and and then for my subsequent years in Chicago um you know I think if I look back at my career and you know, when, one thing I always like kind of struggled with was when I would not start. If I get taken out of the lineup, I would almost feel like I wasn't a part of the team anymore. And it wasn't until my career ended that I looked at all of that and I realized that, well, it doesn't matter if you're a starter or if you come off the bench or if you never play a minute but you train every single day. You are still an equal member of that team. You put in the same effort that everybody does. You help that team uh, get to the the levels of success that it can get. And had I understand that better as a player, I think maybe I would have stayed in Chicago longer, although i was I was ready to go when i when I wanted to. I was drafted or I traded to San Jose at the time, which obviously being a hometown boy that was <laughs> a dream of mine yeah um, but i think uh, but I think that's kind of a recurring theme throughout my professional career was that i was I was not content unless I was starting, and so I was willing to take chances and get traded elsewhere to try and get that starting spot and hold that down and like I said, I think that had I been a little bit more content and a little bit more patient in my career um, with being a role player as opposed to a starter at all times that perhaps I would have had a longer career or I would have had longer stays at different places. But I don't have any regrets about it. That's not necessarily the person that I am, right? I'm not one to just kind of sit and wait. I want to be pushing the envelope all the time. And um, and so I, I feel feel fine about the way that my career ended up.
0: So at what point did you... See some of the writing on the wall and figure this isn't for me anymore, or I gave it my best shot, or or maybe I didn't give it my best shot. Yeah. uh But ultimately, it's time to hang him up, or try try you know a different path or something along those lines.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think the the first real kind of trying time I came up against was when I was playing for the Galaxy. Rude Hollett was the coach. Um, we just finished off a season and it was it didn't go very well. I had a long injury through it. Um but I had felt confident how I was playing. I thought I was playing playing some really good soccer at that time. Um But we go into preseason with this new coach and you know, anytime there's a new coach you gotta you gotta impress, you know, if you wanna if you wanna stay. And I didn't really feel as though I got the chance to impress all that much. And maybe that's me kind of copping out a little bit, but I never really got to play the position that I wanted to play. I was always playing something that was just, I was playing outside mid or something. And I was always more of like a center kind of player, whether it be center mid center back. Um, and, you know, ultimately the coach decided to um, wave me. And um, that was, that was a hard thing for me. It was the first time I'd ever been you know, cut at a professional level. And uh that that took some you know serious reflection um as to why i thought that happened i think a lot of it was was strange but um you know who knows it, it is what it is at this point um i ended up getting picked up by colorado rapids at that point which um you know i looking back on i was kind of silly to to go into training without being under contract because had i gotten injured then that would have been the end of it <laughs> but um but i went into training camp and and i earned a spot on the team and then you know earned a starting spot and then an opportunity came up to get traded back to san jose which i just uh, returned into mls after a, a stint away um and and so i, I kind of jumped at that and uh, it was at that point that i was like okay if it doesn't work out in san jose then i'm i'm gonna be done um you know it it <laughs> in san jose so i come back and and started playing and played pretty well had a had a good starting spot going um you know ended up uh seeing things a little bit differently than the head coach on a couple of different occasions and we had some good good conversations and, and the head coach at the time was frank yallop who is a, a very well respected and very successful uh, coach in, in mls or or uh, now he's the he's the general manager of a team in fresno um but I would certainly call him a good friend to this day, um, and he had, he was going to end up trying to trade me, and then I and I had I basically just told him like, look, don't try. I'm I'm done. I'm not moving anywhere. I'm home. Uh, you know, I was 28 years old at the time. I uh, my wife and I wanted to start a family. We were we were here. We weren't going to go anywhere. And so that was um, what I think. What what I liked about that time was I was I felt like I actually like ended fairly on my own terms Mm -hmm. because i had contract offers elsewhere after that and i uh said no to them so i didn't feel as though like i couldn't do it anymore i just felt like it wasn't right for my life at that time um but to be honest the real reason why i was okay with it was i had spoken earlier about how like the reason why i played soccer and it was because it was with my friends and it was what we love to do is what we did that's not what soccer was to me anymore. I remember distinctly walking into the locker room one day and looking around and just being like, I don't like or respect the large majority of these people. This is not fun for me anymore. And that, that, at that point, I was like, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. And
0: um, Yeah, I was going to ask you yeah. kind of what was different. and You're answering it already, though.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, it just it had taken the fun away from the game for me. And, and what was sad about that is I felt like I was playing some of my best soccer at that time. But it just the fun was just kind of gone, you know it 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 felt like more of a job and um and 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 that was kind of it and, and i I was kind of ready for to move on to the next steps. Like, like I said, I was 28 years old. I had only played soccer my entire life, um, and um, and and I was ready for the next chapter.
0: uh You mentioned
1: that you left school early. did you go back and get your degree? Good question. Yeah, so part of a product Project Forty contract, what that was, uh it's fairly brilliant if you ask me, you get a guaranteed contract with MLS, you get a guaranteed contract with Nike, and Nike agreed to pay for the remainder of your schooling. Hmm. So throughout my time in Chicago I had actually enrolled at DePaul University and um and I was taking night classes throughout my entire time uh living in Chicago and then when I had when I got traded to San Jose and and Houston and L.A. and all that, I had uh, continued taking classes online. And so when I ultimately hung up the boots, uh, I only had a handful of credits left, and I was able to finish those and and get my degree
0: from DePaul. Nice. So some of the perseverance to make those educator parents happy, I'm sure. Yes. Um, So wrapping it up towards the present day now, Yeah. What would you say out of all that, out of your experience in sport and now continued as uh, in in management and in coaching has really helped you to rise up, has really helped you to learn and excel in life, in uh, in everything that you do from what you learned in in competitive sports?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that the uh, the things that the biggest things that I take away from all of it are one. I want to work with people I respect and I want to work with friends and I want to have fun. And so uh, I think part of that is also passion, right? You have to be doing something that you're passionate about. And in my sports management business, I'm very passionate about that, right? Getting to help form the structure by which uh, youth sports organizations run, uh, therefore setting up a good platform for youth players to develop in the correct way. I'm very passionate about that. I work with really, really good people um, who I see more as family members than I see as um, you know employees um, that that is hugely important um, and, and I guess like the overall theme there is culture right I want to work in organizations and I want to work with organizations that want to create the right kind of culture you know in an, any kind of an organization that I work with, creating the right, the right culture is one of the biggest, if not the biggest um, difficulty that you run into, um, but done right um, once you are able to. Instill that culture into an organization, it will live on for years and years and years. And so, you know, for me with a youth soccer organization, for example, um, the culture comes down to the group of coaches. Do you have a bunch of coaches that are on the same wavelength that understand that, you know, whether you win or lose a game, at u8 is not important Mm. right the idea is to instill love in the in the players minds do they love this game do they want to be out there working out extra so that they can be better but more because they enjoy it um if you can get a group of coaches that get on that level the culture within your organization is going to create success um and that's something that i think a lot of organizations end up missing Um, you know and then i think the final thing would just be perseverance you know the just because you fail at something doesn't mean that it's over. It means that you need to reflect on it and you need to try again. And you might need to tweak things here or there to try and get a different outcome. But uh, you can't just give up. Like, if you want something, then get it. That's it. There's no there's no other question to it. Do it. And if you don't, it's nobody's fault but your own. And, um, and I think that a lot of people, you know, especially in today's youth sports, it's like... If you get cut from the team, oh, well, this isn't my sport. Let's move on. What's, what's the next sport? What sport do I have a better chance of getting a scholarship at? And I think that that's the most silliest thing in the world because a lot of times it's parents making those decisions as, to, as opposed to the players who are the ones that are actually doing the work. Um, and, and I think that that's something that I'd like to see change. You know, Can we um, – if a player really wants it, can we support that player? Can we push that player and get them to that next level to actually be
0: able to realize their own dreams? Seems like a great place to end. Thank you, Kelly Gray. Thank you, listeners. And uh, we'll be back with another episode of Athletes Rising. Dustin and Kelly, see you soon.